Want to be a CEO? It's a tough mountain to climb. I'm finding out how to get there and what to do once you make it to the top. I'm Michael Thompson, and this is Three Peaks Leadership with Philip Levinson. Today, we're starting to look at some of the issues, some of the challenges that come up when you are actually getting into running the business. And today's episode is is a real cracker. We're talking about crisis management, what to do when the unexpected happens. I'm joined as always by Philip Levinson, CEO, CEO mentor, and the author of Three Peaks Leadership. Lev, g'day. Hello, Michael. Never let a good crisis go to waste. It's been attributed to everybody that I can see. Ram Emanuel, who was uh, Barack Obama's chief of staff, right back to Winston Churchill and actually well before that as well. Clearly, if everyone's claiming credit for the quote, there's got to be something in it. It's a pretty important idea, I suppose, that, that a crisis, it might catch you off guard, but it shouldn't necessarily leave you in a worse off place. There might actually be something good that can come out of it. Uh, sadly, there is. And there are things that can come out of a well-managed crisis. Uh, Recognise that crises are just an integral part of your job and and handling them needs to be done uh, with aplomb. We've seen instances where they haven't been handled well. You know, last year was rife with crises, pandemic-inspired crises, uh, handled well and handled badly. Yeah, there's examples on both sides, aren't there? There are. Now, in your book, before we, we get into a few of those those examples, in your book, you actually use a sailing analogy and uh, it's from when you were competing in the Sydney to Hobart. I know about as much about sailing as I do about being a CEO, which is very little. So you might have to talk me through the analogy. So uh, it was a very powerful analogy, actually, because what we practiced for in some instances actually happened. And we'll come back to the practice element uh, and the scenario planning later. But for us, uh, I was incredibly fortunate to join a crew on the 15th of December, 11 days before we were to sail out of Sydney Harbour and and get our yacht safely and competitively down to Hobart. I joined a crew of internationals, uh, not international representative, but from all over the world, who came together to, to race this yacht out of Sydney on uh, the 75th uh, Sydney Hobart. And we were uh, led, I have to say, by Chollers, our, our inspirational skipper, who got us all together on the first day and said, gentlemen, this is going to be tough. Uh, and there are going to be moments when you're going to be lying in your bunk, sucking your thumb, wishing you were elsewhere. But it's also going to be fun. And if we're going to be safe and competitive, we need to practice. And we need to practice, practice, practice. So I'm going to set up a numerous examples of where things are going to go wrong. And together we'll we'll sort them out. So that when we sailed out of the... Um, harbour under full spinnaker at the beginning of the race and six hours later the front of our boat blew off um whilst that wasn't something that we practiced we certainly as a crew jumped into uh, into action literally macavered the front of the boat back on and uh, and kept going uh, rule seven applied in that instance and rule seven is never give up and did you make it we did up? yes we did Fantastic. And as a crew, we were very, very bonded. But one of the things that I now take with me in, in any sailing that I do is what next? Is you've got to sail up at the moment. It's all looking good. Everybody's sitting back. What next? What happens if the sail goes? What happens if, if a line breaks? What happens if, uh, you know, you hit something? Is everybody prepared for a man overboard? Later in the episode, I'll, I'll 
I'll actually put a hypothetical situation to you, a hypothetical crisis, and and see how some of those principles can be applied to the business world. Uh, But when we're looking at you in the role of CEO and you are now trying to plan for crises, unknown crises, what's actually involved in the initial planning? You need a crisis action plan. What is it? What goes into it? So I think the first thing is lines, chains of command. So the first thing is who's in charge and that should be the CEO and and it should, all lines ultimately should lead to them. They and senior leaders should all have in their, in their bags or or wallets, a card with the names and telephone numbers and email and and non-company email addresses of direct reports and senior leadership. So that when a crisis happens at four o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, very quickly you can assemble the leadership team and get on with enacting the crisis plan. In order to enact a crisis plan, though, as you say, you have to have written it. (laughs) And um, you can come up with some very weird and wacky potential crises, and I can assure you that they won't be as weird and wacky as the crisis you actually get hit with. Uh, how, How broad should that planning be because I, I'm, I imagine there's there's the obvious kind of things maybe a, a, a hostile takeover or some kind of a of, a, of an obvious natural disaster um, if you're in a, a bushfire prone area for example Absolutely. or you're next to a river then you would plan for those kinds of things yeah. but how creative how broad should it be how do you plan for something that you don't even know yet that it could happen well I think you you go back to basic principles and the basic principles are what happens when something extraordinary happens. Now we can practice the, as you say, the takeover and we've got a standard operating procedure for that. You can practice the bushfire or the flood. You've got a standard operating procedure for that and you can plan for what you can't plan for. And it basically means that you, you have lines of communication open and that everybody knows to assemble in a certain place whether virtually or physically, and what their job is. So, for example, the head of investor relations needs to make sure there's a communication plan to say there is an issue and this is what we're doing to deal with it. The CEO needs to be able to go to the board and say we've just had an issue or in the midst of an issue and this is what we're doing about it. Various other people need to know what their roles are in support of that that crisis action plan. How broadly should it be communicated then? Because uh, I suppose that uh, the details of a crisis action plan probably wouldn't be the kind of thing that you would broadcast to every single person in the in the company. No, that's correct. Is it just about making sure that those that the key people in each department, for example, know what their responsibilities are should uh, a situation arise? Well, actually, it's broader than that because they're also communi- they're charged with communicating their part of the crisis action plan to their people. So a fire in a building. Mm-hmm. So a fire in a building obviously has us to life and injury, needs to be dealt with. There needs to be procedures for making sure that everybody's accounted for and safe. There needs to be, there needs to have been procedures to make sure that the fire, if catastrophic, doesn't reveal things like blocked fire escapes mm-hmm. in, in the, in the sort of post fire report, because that's when people get, not only die, but also other people go to jail. So, you know, you need to be enforcing that with your team, that this is, there could be a crisis and this is what we need to do in this event and and this is what we need to do to prevent it. But then, you know, that needs to be communicated up the chain. We've had this, this fire 
we have a public liability issue, we have a face to society issue. You know, for example, um, cladding, building cladding. You allowed your building to be built with that cladding, knowing that it had these issues. You know, shame on you. You have a financial impact. How do you deal with that? And then you have, you know, the the sort of broader impact on the community. So ideally the plan will never actually be needed, but it's just important to have it there and cover as many different, different elements. You're absolutely right. But I think that a plan not used or not practiced is, is a waste of time. Yeah. So what we used to do twice a year is we would have a physical practice where everybody was uprooted from their desk in the middle of the day and taken to our remote location to start the process of rebooting the company, as it were, over the course of the next couple of hours. Uh, In one famous instance, they did a fantastic job of relocating the company. The issue was that we, in fact, had a fire in our computer. The server. In our server room, that's right. And um, I initiated the drill and sat back and watched. And three hours later, rocked up to the remote location and said, congratulations, everybody. You know, it's, it's fantastic to see that the operation is running again. Only one minor detail, and it is personal. You left me there in the fire. <laughs> I was waiting for somebody to come and get me, and no one did. And like, oh, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> they saw an opportunity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it was a rapid promotion for the deputy CEO. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you practice that. And so that was a, that was a physical practice. And then mm-hmm. you do a, a, um, a run through of a potentially hostile takeover where I would send an email to senior staff saying we just received uh, a hostile notice. Uh, we need to convene. We well, called it Project Citadel. Yeah. And they wouldn't know until they were halfway through the process that it was, whether it was a drill or not. And in fact, when we were hit with a hostile, Notice, it worked just as well. No one thought it was a fake that time. They, no one thought everyone, it was a fake. By, <laughs> everyone by the look on real. my face, they knew that it was, this one was real. Yeah. Uh, two, two things I wanted to, to have a bit more of a closer look at. What happens in that room when a crisis hits? Do you just push everything else to one side, all the non-essential? How do you go about sorting that out, knowing what needs to be dealt with now and what can wait until after the crisis is over? Well, the first thing is, what's the crisis? Mm-hmm. Is it is it escalatable mm-hmm. to a point where it actually is impacting health and safety, public liability, yeah. your presence in the, in, in the market? You know, so you grade it. A uh, computer system going down is a crisis, mm-hmm. but it's not a fire in a building. Yep. So as you advance the um the prioritization uh and let's assume that this is this is something that's serious you're absolutely right everything else stops because everything else at that point becomes immaterial you've Mm -hmm. got to you've got to fix the hole in the ship and so you know making sure the ship's nicely painted or that the uh the the orders of the day are being carried isn't really the issue suddenly doesn't really matter doesn't matter and then the other part is the media as a someone with a, a media background, we loved a good crisis. And so how do you, from a, the corporate side of it, you're managing a crisis within your company. How do you deal with that external attention coming in? Do you be proactive about it or do you wait for someone to find out and, and just be more reactive? Look, I don't know whether this is a personal thing. F- from my perspective, the first thing you do is – is appoint a, 
a point person to the media, be that your head of investor relations or the CEO or somebody trained to do it and they need to be trained. The next thing you do is, is, is step up and you say, this is what's happened and this is what we're doing to fix it. And the causes and the impacts and everything else will be subject to uh, further discussion, but this is what we're doing right now today. So that everybody knows that there is, there's an issue that people have stepped up, that the issue is being dealt with and that the issue will be communicated when possible uh, in, an, in as open a manner as possible, as soon as possible. And then I suppose that leads into how you as the leader are seen to react to the crisis. How important is it for you as the CEO to uh, present a, a very calm face of the company, both internally and externally during that, that time? We've, we've talked before about how everybody takes their cue from the boss. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a great Navy saying, which is, sirs don't run. It frightens the troops. So if you see sir running down a corridor, then the troops are likely to get uh, slightly spooked. So the first thing you do is you, you, you adopt and you have to do this, not just for the perception, but for reality, you adopt the persona of somebody who's in charge, who's calm, who's got this, because you know that, as you say, if you start to look shaky and panic, then that'll, that'll exacerbate throughout the entire organization and you've lost it by that point. Have you seen any examples of bad crisis management? You mentioned before the, the pandemic that there were, that was a, a crisis that affected everybody. So inevitably there were going to be some that reacted better than others. But have you ever seen any, any bad, bad crisis I management? Think, I think, you know, if you go back to the textbooks now, the uh, deep water issue that BP had, tragic, badly handled cover-ups, the CEO lost his job for a glib comment, which was, I want my life back, uh, whilst he was sailing. And yes, he deserves you know, to have some downtime, but to have it publicly and, and to have said what he said is probably a great example. And, you know, I can, I, I can thank him because he's just shown us what not to do. You know, we, we've seen it, in, as you say, in the pandemic. We see examples of it daily. And I often say to my teams, look at, look at this, watch this, because you're going to learn a lot of lessons out of what, who does things well and who does things badly. Uh, and I certainly have. To wrap up, a quick 60-second hypothetical. You're the, the CEO of a, of a major company. doesn't really matter what, what industry, I suppose, in this, in this scenario. You find out from your, your chief technology officer that the company has come under a, a significant cyber attack. It's obviously only a hypothetical, but there's been plenty of examples of that lately and companies ranging from very, very large publicly listed companies right down to, to family businesses that are able to, uh, to be hit by this. So it's an important kind of example to use. Yep. You found out that you're under attack. What do you do? So I think just to refine that a little bit, if you're a large company, you've got a team that swings into action. I think where this is becoming a lot more pointed is is the smaller and, and right down to family-owned enterprises where you're just hoping you've got your head down and just hoping that you don't get noticed by a hacker and that you can just keep going without having a plan in place. So I think I guess the purpose of this podcast is to talk to them. And the first thing is accept that it's going to happen. There are those 
to whom it's happened and there are, are those to whom it's going to happen. And I think that's how you divide the business world at the moment. So have a plan. Get professional advice in the first instance. Have a plan and then practice it. Again, if it, if you just have the plan and you have to dust it, if you have to first of all find it in the mass of stuff in your desk drawer and dust it off and think, okay, now what does it say? Then you're already too late. So have the plan, practice it, know where it is, know what everybody's supposed to do. But, you know, I think the important steps are what's the issue? Yeah. Let's define the issue. Let's define what we are going to do about it as a team. Take charge. Very important that someone takes charge and pulls the whole thing together. And it's very important that others are tasked with followership. We talk, we talk about leadership and followership. In a crisis, you don't have time to debate. You have a plan. This, I'm in charge. This is what's going to happen. Sure, there's feedback. Sure, there's there's ability. There's an ability to modify the plan with information that's that's being presented on a regular basis. But in the first instance, I'm in charge. This is the plan, and this is what we're going to do. And then bringing it back to where we started, which is never let a good crisis go to waste. How do you come out of a crisis stronger than before? Is it by by using that opportunity when when things are all up in the air to make the changes that you can see needed to be changed? I think in the first instance, de- demonstrating leadership. A crisis is a great opportunity de- to demonstrate leadership, and mm-hmm. if it's squandered, then shame on you. Yeah. And then afterwards, it's it's a very detailed post action report. Yeah. What happened? What did we do? What was the impact of that and what could we have done better? And hugely importantly, what can we do to make sure this never happens again? Yeah. All right. So basically, uh, in order to manage a crisis, you need to plan. You need to plan broadly and you need to practice that plan. You need to be prepared. And if you are prepared, then ultimately at the end of a, end of a crisis, you can come out of it stronger than you went into it. There's more on crisis management in the book, isn't there? In uh, Three Peaks Leadership, How to Make It as a CEO and Beyond, which is available now from anywhere that you buy books online. So Booktopia, Dimmix, Amazon, anywhere. Don't forget as well to hit subscribe or follow on the podcast so that you can get each episode as soon as it's released. There's plenty more to come in future episodes and some great guests too as we basically take a really close look at what it takes to be successful at the top and afterwards. I'm Michael Thompson, and this is Three Peaks Leadership with Philip Levinson. Thanks, Michael.